Welcome to the Data Engineering Show. We are here again, this time, different setup. Eldad and I are not next to each other uh, at the office. We're actually uh, at home with us. I have my own mic, which is at, <laughs> at South Tahoe at at Lake uh, is Max, Max Busherman. Did I pronounce it correctly? Yeah, as as good as as it comes, except for people who actually speak French as their first language. But yeah, you did well. And <laughs> yeah, you know, I am in uh, beautiful South Lake Tahoe, so uh, not too far from the lake and somewhere surrounded by mountains. It's beautiful out here. Awesome. You know, usually way, people the- who live in those amazing places, they're polite and they put the background, like live background to see how amazing the place is. And then I guess you are kind of enjoying the view yourself. So thank you for that. Uh, <laughs> I, yeah, I, it's I, 180, you know, and then you might be able to see uh, glimpses of uh, the lake in the background and a lot of pine trees. Um, but yeah, I'm saving that that view for myself here. <laughs> I cheated, by the way, with pronouncing your last name correctly. You know what I did? I, I used uh, the amazing LinkedIn feature where you can click to listen to the pronunciation of your name. So that's uh, how I heard you pronounce it yourself. <laughs> Oh, nice. So so I yeah. recorded that at some point, I guess. Uh, probably forgot about that feature, but it, it comes in yeah, handy yeah. sometimes. Yeah, I yeah, never yeah. knew it exists. Yeah. So if you go to Max's LinkedIn page next to his name, you see like this audio button. You click it and you hear Max pronounce his own name. Nice. We'll share links after the podcast. That's a cool, that's a pretty cool f- feature. Now, no one has excuses in mispronouncing my name, you know. <laughs> I, I won't record myself. I like I like to see this, this struggle, the first uh, attempt. When you put the signature, your LinkedIn signature, kind of put an action in the in the link that takes you straight to the play of your name. And that's kind of like the page opens up and, and you get LinkedIn telling your name, pronouncing your name pr- properly. That's Always exactly how it is. More innovation. Amazing. Amazing. Tons of innovation. Uh, um, yeah. I, I really don't mind it. Like people mispronounce my name. I just go by Max. They just call me Max. And uh, yeah, I don't I don't mind it very much. So Max. Uh, Max is quite the data guru. Uh, if you haven't heard about Max, so Max has actually started Apache Airflow back in 2014 when he was at Airbnb. Shortly after, in 2015, he started Apache Superset. Uh, later on, he moved on to found preset the commercial version of, of of superset and going backwards in time before mb he spent time at lyft at facebook so he's an amazing data professional and you know the rule for the data engineering show is if you've listened so far we bring in data practitioners not vendors nobody to sell anything they're building so max even though he uh, is the founder and ceo of preset will actually talk about max as the data practitioner uh, and the boring part of cars from the data world, uh, and less about uh, what he's selling uh, in the world out there. You yeah, it's interesting. Like, well, what like I over time, so I started the company a little bit more than three years ago, and uh, you know I was coding a whole bunch at the beginning. I was wearing all the different hats. Then I stopped coding very much, you know, in the past like year or two, but I still do a lot of data engineering. So I'm still in the data pipeline, still building dashboards, still analyzing our data. So I'm, I'm holding on to that data analyst uh, and the analyst engineer type role as a maybe like 10% of my time. Um, but I don't, I don't code. I don't develop as much anymore. You know, I don't contribute as much to Airflow and Superset as I used to. Um, just because it requires a lot of context. Boys, did you offer your friends something to eat? 
It's remote, mom. They're not physically with us. Did you talk about Fireball? The, the podcast is not about, it's not about Fireball, mom. Did you tell your friend it's the fastest cloud data warehouse? Mom, uh, we're in the middle. Please close the door with Doc Data. Yeah, it seems the listeners quite surely understand that Max has a problem with delegating. He is a CEO who cannot let go of his passion for data engineering, still hands-on coding until this very day. <laughs> um, okay, cool. So, so let's uh, get started. We've, before we go into actually, you know, uh, a preset, and you know, it's super interesting to hear how you've built sort of a modern data stack there when you started the company. Let's go back actually to you know to your time maybe uh, at Airbnb. Uh, tell us a little bit how you got there, sort of how you went, how you got into data throughout your career and sort of the role you you landed at, at Facebook and then in Airbnb. And we touched on the projects you you did there. Yeah, so I, I started my career as a what you would call today a data engineer, but I was a data warehouse architect. I did a little bit of web development, then I became the data warehouse architect slash business intelligence engineer. So I had a good um, a good run, almost a decade worth of like using the previous generation tools. So things like business objects, Informatica, um, a lot of ELT back then too. I like would just write a lot of store procedures, uh, either in SQL Server or Oracle, right? So uh, writing a lot of ETL, build, building a lot of dashboards, organizing the data for the whole organization. At that time, it was Ubisoft. So I did that at Ubisoft Video Game Company. Uh, it was super fun. Got got my foundation in data. So tons of data pipelines, data modeling, dashboard building, that, that sort of things. And then I joined Facebook in 2011, I believe, 2011, 2012. And then, uh, well, so I skipped Yahoo. So I, I went to Yahoo. It was the birth of a dupe. I didn't stay there very long, maybe two years or so. But um, I remember meetings with uh, the people the people who went on to uh, start Cloudera. So my manager's manager was Amir Awadala there. Um, and then some of the- It early... was always there. In yeah. Every, you know, impactful, bigger than this world event in, in, in data evolution. It was there somewhere, in, you know, somewhere in the background, <laughs> in the foreground. It's always like, always see the picture, always see Max there. <laughs> Two years oh, yeah. in, in Yahoo, exactly the right time. And then, yeah, sorry. Yeah, Go on. I was yeah, I had the right time. And then I joined Facebook, which, you know, I think at, so that was a, a few years later. So I was, yeah, I was like 2008, then joined Facebook 2011 or 12. And then um, there was like a big renaissance of, um, you know, data tools there. So people had, had had to rebuild a lot of things from scratch on top of Hadoop and other things, right? Because the scale of Facebook was just too big for the Teradatas of the world, or like there's just no, commercial database that could scale to petabytes at the time. And I think like during I my time... I love that. I love that. Yeah. So like forced. having those big tech companies like, yeah, there's no database company in the world that can uh, build something that is big enough for us. And we just have smart people so let, and let them do it. And, and I, I was wanted to ask, and, and since you did it so many times, so successfully, kind of incubating something in big tech, in a big company, how was it back then? Do you, how is it today? Is it still happening today? Or... Do people just live and open a startup? Um, what's your take? Yeah, there's got to be like phases of like new renaissance kind of era. But I know at that time, we had to rebuild everything on top of Hadoop, right? Like it was just like a rebuild everything on top, um, top of MapReduce. And it was not better databases. You know, like you look at Oracle's very advanced database or Teradata is actually like a, a really good 
database, it just wouldn't be like parallelism and scaling horizontally was just not as much of a premise as it needed to be for a company like Facebook. So Facebook had to, you know, rebuild everything on top of MapReduce or rebuild everything with the premise of things having to scale to thousands of machines horizontally. So that, that created like this culture of like, hey, we're building everything from scratch. Um, did a lot of experiments too. So we had a bunch of different data pipeline tools, one of which is called Data Swarm, became the inspiration for, for Airflow along with other ones. But there was like probably for every project that's that's stuck that or that stuck that that stayed at Facebook and got used by people, there's probably like a dozen other projects that didn't go anywhere. So they probably had, you know, there's probably been like 20, 30 different schedulers built at Facebook and then one or so two. So many dead startups, so many, you know, so many startups that could have happened and didn't happen because just Facebook is, you know, like let's have 50 projects yeah. on data pipelines and one of them will win. And that's you yeah. again by accident. Yeah. Again, you're there in that single project again. Go ahead. Sorry. Yes, I was there at that time, you know, when these things were happening. And like, interestingly, yeah, I don't know if it's like, if it's the engine or if it's like kind of, uh, if, you, if you think about is is are the big tech companies like stopping innovation by like, you know, putting the brains kind of inside their, their walled gardens or are they like actually stimulating progress with like all the wealth that they generate so i think it's a, it's a mix of the two but in the case of facebook you know there's a lot of like really good i think open source helps to break the wall gardens of tech right because people like me are like hey, i'm going to join airbnb if i can work on open source and then my the 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 stage for impact is not airbnb is the world um so and, and you know there's been a lot of people before me too that have had a lot of success with open source so just kind of following those footsteps and say hey maybe maybe i'm uh, delusional enough to think that i can do the same as uh you know p- people like jay Krebs or people like uh you know p- the people behind hadoop and some of the open source technology or just like linus torvald i think has been a, a, an inspiration to us all too so you know, I was like, oh, maybe I'm crazy enough to attempt this thing. And other people have done it. How hard can it be? When you joined Airbnb, how did the data, the variety of data teams look like? Yeah, it was kind of interesting. So I really grew, grew while I was there. So it's hard for me to close my eyes and think like what exactly it looked like on my first day. But I, I remember, well, there was like a handful of people, about three people, uh, Jonathan Parks, Aaron Keys, uh, Sid, like all three were working on something called core data. So that was like they people at Airbnb had suffered enough from you know handling raw data. They're like, we need to do some data engineering. We need to create some core data sets that we can trust and rely on. Uh, later on, these data sets, like there's just too much kind of pressure and too much pull from the different teams to try to evolve these things centrally. But for a while, like people working on core data, we started using early, early airflow. Um, in production, like within a few months to build the core data stuff and some of the core data sets at Airbnb. Uh, and soon after, we uh, we migrated a lot of the pipelines that existed in some previous scheduler called Kronos that was built on top of Mesos. At the time, so there was like three data engineers. They didn't call themselves data engineer. It was not like a popular term at the time. I think we, they called themselves Etliens, E-T-L-E-N-S. Mm-hmm. Uh, a little bit like aliens, like some sort of uh, so that was the name of the team, and then there was probably data platform was maybe data mart team, the data mart team back then, the formal, formal names, yeah, a little fun name. Uh, and then uh, we had soon after, so yeah, so there was like maybe 10 data scientists, 10 people on data platform, 
And then the team went on to become like, I think there's like a hundred data scientists by the time I left. And wow. uh, there's just an Crazy. army of data scientists. The data engineering was probably like 15, 20 people. Um, and that was sort of between 2014, 2017, right? 15, yeah. So data platform, including all the data functions was definitely like north of like 150 people or so. So, And so tell us about sort of the context in which and sort of the role and how it went about with Airflow uh, during those years. So I started a project in between gigs. So um, I left Facebook with the premise that I was going to work on on something like Airflow, at least as a side project. Um, I didn't know the name at the time. I had talked with people at Airbnb and they're like, we need something. We need like something to manage our DAGs. We have tons. We're crumbling under the weight of our own pipelines. So we need something better than what we have today. So I was like, well, oh, that sounds fun. I, I want to come and work on this. And then in between jobs, um, I started working on what now became Airflow. So I had, I think, a two weeks sprint. Uh, so instead of like, you know, taking vacation, I just decided to start coding this thing. And I put it under my personal GitHub. So I would join and say like, hey, it's already open source. Like, what are you going to do about it? Uh, so it was under my personal GitHub. And then uh, the moment I got there, I think we got something in production very, very quickly. So it was like within like a month or two of me being there, we had um, some data marts in production very quickly. And within like three to four months, I think we had uh, all the core data pipelines and we migrated a lot of the legacy pipeline to Airflow. We also moved the experimentation framework as a gigantic DAG of thousands of tasks, you know, to compute all the metrics and all the experiments uh, data. So there was a big hunger internally. There's a lot of like data professionals and people who needed to schedule arbitrary workloads. Um, it was also at a time where like things like DBT did not exist. So Airflow was preferred for SQL, like for scheduling mountains of SQL too. Um, and then there's a bunch of like, you know, people doing all sorts of uh, crazy stuff with, you know, R and IPython and notebooks and, um, and Java or whatever it might be. So there was really a need to schedule thousands and thousands of jobs big hunger for that. So that's how it took off. And when sort of did you notice that, hey, you know, this is being picked up, uh, it's extending its reach beyond this uh, project of mine and gaining popularity? Externally, right? So I think internally, uh, I, I cannot like understate like how much I visited or I did some evangelism around Airflow to say I super early, I would visit any company in the Valley that would show interest of me coming and talking to them. I would I would just go and visit them and you know answer their question, talk about their data engineering challenges, and uh, kind of convince them that that Airflow was probably a good solution to that stuff. And the landscape at the time was why it was oozy. That's how you do it, baby. Yeah, that's you go it. out there and knock on doors, and you just do it old school. Yeah, and all I wanted, I I never wanted to start a company, or that was not my intention at all. I just wanted to build something relevant and impactful, right? So I. You know, when the VC started approaching me to say like, hey, why don't you start a company? It's like, are you crazy? Like, that's like, why would I do that? And I'm an, I'm not an MBA. Like, I, you know, I'm happy. Uh, I, I used to call it like doing open source for the right reasons. You know, like I'm just here to like evangelize and build something useful uh, for the longest time. That was really uh, what was driving me. And then it was really progressive, right? It's like the popularity comes like one issue, one PR at a time on GitHub. You're like, oh, here's someone with, that seems to be associated with, you know, this company name, right? Um, and then the mailing list, you know, so it's, it's very progressive. So it goes from 
you know, a, a handful of people showing a little bit of interest to, you know, a small, small crowd. And eventually it's like a mob. And now I heard recently there's, uh, I think astronomer did some analysis and there's probably north of like a hundred thousand companies using airflow today. Wow. It's just, it's just insane. 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 For Max refusing to start a company. Shut it down. Shut it down now. <laughs> <Shut it down. laughs> you can't. It has, it's a, it has a life of its own. Um, so, you know, uh, people ask me, like, when do you know that your open source product is very successful? Uh, you know, when if you would try to stop it, you couldn't, right? Like, if I would try with all my might and all the resources in the world that I have to stop airflow, I could not at this point. But that's when you know it's successful. You know? It's like the, the Terminator. Once the machines take over, you can. AI, you can all over. <laughs> all over again. <laughs> 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 and 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 then you also started uh superset yeah so uh so the, the 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 genesis kind of story for superset well first you know there's like the the delusion of like i can build a bi tool i think that came from facebook because facebook facebook people had built all sorts of little visualization tools that were um you know very simple to use very uh fast time to chart and time to dashboard mm-hmm. if you have a data set ready you know, you can build a chart and dashboard off of that data set in no time. One of our engineers joined us uh, from Facebook, uh, maybe six, maybe four to six months ago. And one of the first things he mentioned was how nice and how well kind of data visualization and, and data consensus is at Facebook. You send the link, it opens up a, a page with all the right charts. There's a discussion on the data. So just now you mentioned kind of took me back to that uh, conversation and was this kind of query history and all the discussions we're having on 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 how to embed data within conversations. So yeah, it's super interesting. And uh, yeah, sorry. I, yeah, no, totally. I think it's great like to talk. Uh, and you know, I I hate to like overpraise uh, you know any big like tech giant or or whatever, but like we gotta. Credit is due where it's due. I think like a lot of what we call today the modern data stack, there was like a microcosm of all the innovation in the modern data stack, like happened way before, like 10 years before at Facebook, right? They had like something like a iData, which is a data portal, data catalog with now the full lineage of everything at Facebook. You know, you can navigate the metadata graph of all the data object pretty well, uh, do like lineage analysis and impact analysis. Uh, there's all sorts of like little visualization tool, little schedulers, um, and then the databases, like a database called Scuba, that's a little bit like uh, like, like Druid and, and Firebolt maybe too, in some ways, right? Like a really fast, real-time in-memory. They have a really strong team, by the way, writing a vectorized uh, query engine, really strong. Uh, uh, yeah. The Presto team too, right? Super respectful. Yeah, yeah, very impressed. Impressed by the the quality of the 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 gray matter at Facebook, right? Like people are empowered to to build new things. So things like Scuba, things like HyPal was like a um, SQL, um, a little bit of a SQL notebook type thing. There's something called UniDash. That's a dashboard building tool that came a little bit after my time. And just this culture of like, if it doesn't exist, I'm going to build it, right? So I think there's like uh, now they migrate the- everything to the Meta Cloud. Also that I don't know about, yeah, but yeah. What is oh, the meta cloud? I guess is the new uh, their data centers. I don't know. <laughs> so all of your friends at Facebook, uh, they, you know, everyone was like, was sitting there in the room, and everybody did it. Someone had it became this huge, huge open source success beyond control. So you had to feel special. So you went on and said, 
I'll do it. I, I, I'll do it from Airbnb. I don't know. I looked to open source on the Facebook stuff internally. It was just difficult because everything was tangled up. Like, you know, in data, all the different systems are like, it takes a fair amount of uh, duct tape and chicken wire to kind of hook a data platform together. And it is really hard after the fact to take a, you know, a piece of that data platform that's all duct tape and chicken wire, the rest of everything. And like, you know, cut that out to serve it as an open source project. So it's, I think, I think it's been done in the past of like refactoring an internal technology as an open source project. Uh, some companies have done it with some projects, but I, I'm guessing it's always with the premise that it might be open source one day. So let's keep it, you know, let's keep this as a microservice that, you know, works well by itself. But yeah, I realize if all the engineers, if all the engineers leave us, we can, you know, we can solve it by open sourcing it and uh, kind of <laughs> getting getting engineering love back. Uh, yeah, uh, all sorts to evangelize it. <laughs> that happened in the past. Like that premise of like, oh, you know, if I op- if we open source this, like the community is going to build it. You know, so that I think, like in my experience, is not like as if you guys are like, hey, we're just going to open source Firebolt so that we get you know hundreds of contributors for free. That typically does not work, right? It needs to be open source from the get-go. And I think you really need, it's really often is like a handful of core contributors that are bred, you know, uh, that, that are very close to the core of the project that built the bulk of it. Now, you started uh, Preset in, in 2019? Yeah, early 2019. Early 2019. Okay, so, so you know, here's the... Uh, so what happened? Yeah, what happened? So what what changed? Well, so you know, it had been like my life's goal pretty much to push Superset forward for so since 2015. So it had been like four years that I've been working on this thing. I was like, I want open source to come and compete in business intelligence, data visualization. Right, that was like my life goal. Is like I want to build something relevant that's in every other company, uh, so that every tech company, every company who does data. So I'd been sponsored or, you know, incubating my project inside Airbnb and inside the Lyft for a little while. And these companies are super nice. And, they, you know, I had a small team of people working with me on these things, pushing this thing forward. But uh, when I started talking with investors, they were telling me that, you know, or it became really clear to me that it would be a really great way to take on capital to really be able to push the open source project forward. So really, it's in the vein of like if I raise uh, my a, my A round was twelve point five million, um, so that allowed me to like hire a bunch of people that are very dedicated to working on Superset and making Superset great. So you know, there's always this duality too of like, hey, you need to build an open core, you need to build some crust, you need to you know build a successful company that makes money too. But uh, but I've seen other companies do it successfully, like companies like Databricks, Confluent, and different companies of different shapes and sizes. So um, I thought I could navigate as well as anyone else, you know, um, how to give back to the community to grow an open core, but also like build something that we can sell in and around it. So let's get back to Max, the practitioner for a second. So you're starting a company and obviously you're super experienced with data. Walk us through how you thought about building an organization that's sort of data-driven from the ground up and how we went about that. Yeah. So at first it's like when you don't have a product out too, I mean, building a company, there's just like a, a six months or a year of just like thrash, right? There's just like, you need to like set up a bunch of stuff, make a few hires, uh, just kind of get going. And there's not a whole lot of data at that point in time. 
Um, but you know, one thing I've been talking about lately is this idea of like data native companies, the same way that there's like cloud native companies or digital native companies, companies that were born in a certain era act in different ways. And I think like this generation of companies like, like preset, um, we add that just like really easy access to things like BigQuery and Snowflake to things like, you know, DBT and Airflow. Like we didn't have to build our own, you know, scheduler. We could just like pick one up. So you, you assemble your data platform, you know, Fivetran or now I know there's like open source counterparts like, you know, Airbyte and Altano. Um, so for us, we just like sign up for Fivetran. We get our HubSpot data and our segment data. Uh, kind of all centralized in a, in, a, in a data warehouse pretty easily. Like you can kind of assemble these, pick up these pieces off the shelves and they're all like pay as you go. So they're really cheap or free if you don't have a lot of data. Uh, that's how they get you though. But I, that's how we, that's, I mean, say preset, we offer a premium or up to five seats at preset. That's a really good offer. So if you're a small startup, you can try to tool, make sure it works. Right. That's and then you know and then it's like pay as you go. Is it free, full like featured, like any big limitation or really kind of about five? It's like ninety percent of the features are in. We I think we block some things like alerts and reports, so where you know alerts are delivered. LDAP, LDAP, and stuff. Like LDAP, that. That, that, if you have five people and you need that, go away. That's yeah, uh, no, exactly. But if you're five people too, so then the 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 premium tier. So there's premium, and then you know the premium is like twenty bucks per user per month. So if you have five users, it's like hundred bucks a month, right? And then you can have the SSO and LDAP on that tier too. And we have an enterprise tier too. But um, you know what's nice with these tools is you can sign up for them in ten minutes, and you can you know so you can start like sending data into BigQuery, and the bill is going to be like nothing, right? Like so, so you can assemble a data platform for us. We picked up Fivetran, Segment, DBT, BigQuery, and just started pushing a bunch of data into BigQuery and started to like reorganizing the data with DBT. We need we have Airflow now too. It took a little bit longer for us to really need an orchestrator, but like as you assemble more things, so we have things like high touch now too, which is a reverse ETL tool to send data back to your, maybe like product usage data back to your CRM systems. Um, so now that we have a complex enough data platform, we need something like Airflow, but it took a little bit longer for us to, you know, to really have a need for that. But, uh, Super easy. Picked up Astronomer, you know, just like it's installed, uh, you know, in a half a day and you can start jamming on that stuff very, very quickly. It's scary and crazy how fast you can uh, kind of uh, play with those building blocks today yeah. and how hard and painful and long it was just a few years ago, which is mm -hmm. crazy because if you're kind of not long enough in our space, you don't appreciate. You said something, you said kind of uh, as new companies get born, they get born differently. Like, and we're getting old, right? As we found companies, but but your engineers, your people, uh, they are they are fresh and they are coming with a new mindset. And uh, it's just, yeah, it's crazy. So it's a lot of ecosystem play. It's, it's so it's later. If you compare like, so say cloud native companies, like companies like Airbnb that were born, you know, say like 2000, uh, Airbnb is a little early for that, but companies born after like 2010 or so are all built on AWS, right? Like, and that is also like hard to appreciate just how hard it, we used to order servers and machines and we had to wait for the boxes to make it to the data center that we were renting and we had to wait for 
the sysadmin there, usually balding with a ponytail, like, you know, to, to like uh, install that server uh, somewhere. I missed that. And- I missed that. One of my best friends from my previous startup for Science, Shlomi. Hi, Shlomi, if you see us and listen to us. You know, we, we love him so much. And he used to do it old school. He used to fly to New Jersey and he used to install stuff there and sit there in the basement and everything. <laughs> now he's, you know, he's running AWS on the AWS. So it's, it's not the same anymore, but uh, in a good way. Um, People would make like ni- nice, like um, set up for the wi- the network wires, like to kind of um, weave them together in specific way and use zip ties of different colors that meant different things. Yeah. But yes, yeah, so it's so that was a super transformational. Uh, companies who were born after you know EC2 was born, or EC2 and S3 as like core components of AWS, completely changed the game. You'd just be like, hey, I need 100 machines, and you get them. Uh, but then I think on the data space, it took longer for us to just be like, I need a data warehouse and I need a scheduler and I need a, a data visualization tool. And you don't need to talk to salespeople. You don't need to like, you, you, it's not expensive too. You would think it'd be like, oh, you want a data viz tool? That's that'd be 50K. Now it's like 20 bucks per year per month. Like why? Like just set it up. You can use it today, you know? And I think now. that's transformative. Like today, like, yeah. And you don't even need to talk to someone, right? Uh you can though, if you want, you can, and that's when it gets. Uh, and then that's when you raise money, uh, yeah. because uh, again, five people—it's an amazing team, but it grows. And from my experience, uh, uh, everyone needs that at one point or another. Everyone in the company, almost everyone in the company, needs that. And as companies get younger, uh, more people need that. So it's amazing to see. You know, we've been—I've I've been in the space and buzz uh, uh, as well for so many years, and 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 just amazing to see that you know the need for data never kind of nobody never gets stopped. tired of that nobody gets tired yeah, of it's so creative there's a question though it's like why is like data like five to ten years behind some of the software engineering practices or like data engineering is like notably behind i think um expensive because it's expensive yeah, it's not a priority too. And we've had tools for a long time that were kind of okay, right? So maybe uh, for a long time you had, I don't know, business objects or Cognos and you had like Informatica and Teradata and that was your stack and it was okay, right? And, may- and maybe that that prevented the, the kind of innovation that we see today. Maybe, and the data team used to be um, just like a handful of specialized people, like 2000 to 2010 for me, it was like, hey, we had like, four or five data specialists at Ubisoft and we were taking care of all the data needs of the company. And that was, that was okay back then. It's you needed IT back then. That's, that's why. And, and now you don't need IT anymore. That's the, that's the only difference. But every day that goes by data engineering and software engineering are, are getting closer together in sort of bi-directional ways. You see, I always say like, you know, a decade ago, software engineer tasked to do a data project or do something with a database would say that's not for me. That's a job for for a student, and look down on that on those tasks. And today, you see that you know more and more software engineers wanting to do data related projects and tasks. So much of the more interesting stuff is happening there. And you see also the way data engineers work is sort of you know so deeply affected by what's happening in the software engineering world. And it's just that's the direction everything's headed. ML, ML brought a lot, and data science kind of brought a lot of excitement to data too. So being able to train models and to predict at scale, I think is something that brought a lot of attention to data and data engineering. 
right? If you, if you want to have the algorithms, you want to have, uh, you know, some good like ranking, like feed ranking, and you want to have, um, like run a lot of AB tests and know what to ship in your product. Um, you need to have good data. So I guess like that pushed more requirements on like being data driven. Yeah. Um, so back to presets. So how many people are in the company uh, these days? So we're about like 70 people or so. 70. And how many people, you know, are in charge or sort of have, are on top of that data stack? So we have two data specialists now, but th those are new uh, folks that started less than six months ago. So they've mm -hmm. been, uh, so we have our, an analyst engineer slash data analyst and a data engineer now, but it took quite a while. And Max. For, like, and Max, any, and Max I mean, like, I, but I, do, like, I do spend a fair amount of time doing some Nobody wants to join that team. <laughs> no, no, no. There, there's a there's definitely like pros and cons of joining a team with I guess super experienced data engineer. Like, I'm like kind of anal and picky about like certain things, uh, but at the same time, like I can I can be a good good peer, good mentor on some things. Uh, so yeah, but uh, but yeah, so we're like you know two two and a half people or so um, on the on the data team itself. I think it's right what you said before, uh, uh, like building a company, you don't realize just like all the functions that are required um as a tech founder at first you're like hey i can do a little bit of everything and uh, it's mostly about building a product that sells itself right and then uh then you realize like oh shit no i need a sales team i need sdrs i need that like, customer success folks that can help my customers be successful in my product we need education uh there's and the whole marketing side that i'm not even going to talk about because there's a lot of specialty there there's a lot of data driven Uh, processes there too, so um, it's it's hard to understand. I think as a tech founder, like what really you're getting into, and the, the vastness of the skills that are required to build a successful company. So you know, for other companies that are maybe now in the process of you know building uh, a data stack from scratch or modernizing, we enjoyed uh, talking about how fun it is nowadays with all these building blocks, but still sort of what lessons learned in implementing a modern data stack can you share? I mean, if you had to do the same thing all over now, what would you have done a little bit differently? Faster, just faster. I think, I think three we would years. do about the three same years, thing. Everything. I, th I think like the recipe that we chose like works very well for us. So Fivetran works very well to do data sync, right? So we, you, as a startup, like we're a small startup, we have more SaaS systems than we have employees. So we have more than 100 SaaS services that we use. Uh, which is kind of insane, right? Like you, you, there's a whole portfolio of, of things that you want to use. And there's some really core core ones. Your CRM is really important. So we use HubSpot. We'd probably pick HubSpot again. And then Fivetran to bring the data from the different systems uh, you know, into and land it into a warehouse. So that's a really easy data acquisition thing. Then we built our own. We had to build our own like scraping and um, call it like uh, analytics events. So you're inside your product, I'm sure inside your database, you have a lot of sensors and you have a lot of like um, logging every time someone runs a query, every time someone um, you know does an action for us. It's like anytime someone create, uh, creates a chart, saves a, a dashboard, alters a dashboard, invites someone, all these analytics events we need to bring to the warehouse. So we use Segment as a little bit of an ingestion layer for that. So we send our event so to obsessed, Segment. Obsessed with observability. Yeah, well, so I am more like, you know, to me, there's like operational reporting on one side and that's just Datadog for us. Um, so that's more like technical, like how are the systems and machines doing? 
And then there's like the analytics um, stack, which is kind of interesting because they're two different worlds, you know, and maybe they don't need to be. And I think they're less different worlds than they used to be in the past, right? Like I'm sure um, at Firebolt, you probably have use cases across the chasm of like operational analytics and uh, more like traditional business analytics. Uh, but for for me, I'm much more on the product analytics side of things. We are very the- flexible. With the, uh, we let employees use whatever tool they want as long as it's Firebolt. And uh, <laughs> if they're not happy, if they don't like using Firebolt, it's okay. It's also okay, of course. Then they have a Kafka stream and they should just manage on their own. I've heard Honeycomb uh, by many people. I think there's a great project going on. I think we like in, on our end, like uh, we use observability uh, now mostly to define success, enable engineers, have them figure out how to kind of define the success of a feature they're releasing with observability. So it kind of focuses them and removes a lot of noise on, on just, let's just go crazy on, on matrices and events and just choke the system. And then, so kind of, we went through that journey. Um, how is it with your startup? Where are you now on the observability evolution? On the observability side of the house, so there's a pretty big chasm between what we do for bit pro, call it like business analytics or product analytics for us. So this is all like your like for us it's BigQuery DBT five trend uh, you know preset to to analyze this data. On the observability front, we take advantage of everything that uh, Datadog offers, like from like you know their traditional logging to metrics logging. And they have like some sort of time series database uh, behind the scene. And uh, this is a world that I know a little bit less about. But yeah, Datadog's got also um, APM, like application performance monitoring. Oh, that's when you get into that. Don't go there. Yeah. So when you go into APM, yeah, yeah. it gets expensive. Yeah. Uh, so we, we use like, we use that stack for observability and then we use a different stack for business analytics. And then that's much more the place that I come from. The lines are getting blurred, you know, database like Firebolt, I think now can take um, either workload, like you don't need a time series database for your observability and a different database for um, for your data warehouse as much anymore. I don't know how you guys position yourself in relation. So, uh, when we get, con- so consistency is key to getting that done properly. And if, uh, we can spend a whole podcast on, on why consistency is so hard on low latency databases, but why it's so needed. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, we use also multiple systems. So not just Firebolt, obviously. And uh, we went through multiple different products and we just realized that, yeah, sometimes different tools solve the same problem for different people in a better way. And it's also okay. But we do kind of uh, try to manage cost, you know, kind of adding those tools adds up and, 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 and to get this kind of at one point overlapping feature sets and you get confused, like five logging systems. So we are also kind of trying to do a diet and uh, once in a while stop for a second and say, okay, we've been uh, trying things out. Let's stop for a second and, 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 and just pick one or two winners. Um I don't see like the fact that you can connect stuff so fast today it only gets simpler makes that yeah, that, that creates the, the reverse problem right if i can spin up like both like fireball fireball imply uh pino and like three other databases like today then maybe i'll start using all of them and then you have this accumulation of system right i, I talked about that in my airflow summit talk about like kind of set, setting up our data platform at our small startup 
And uh, yet it's so easy to set up systems that maybe that creates a need for more orchestration and more metadata catalog type things, right? Because like all of a sudden, maybe you have BigQuery and you have Snowflake and you have Firebolt for your super hot, you know, data sets and you have... Um, you know, you have a bunch of BI tools because I don't know, they're easy to set up and different teams prefer different tools. So you end up with chaos in some ways. So you need to, you know, to keep things um, somewhat constrained. You right? spend on marketing, so you need to spend more on marketing to make <laughs> things, you know, to focus and then help people understand. That, but uh, there's also, you know, it's easy to set a lot of things up, but there's also things to that, a lot of information in the community. So there's a lot of knowledge sharing going on today. It's much easier to talk to colleagues who have tried things hands-on and you know them in person, you trust them. So it's not like far out anymore. So it's a lot of very easy to get information and find somebody to really talk to. It's easy to try the software too, right? Like you can just go in and try it. But yeah, it's like the reverse problem is like maybe you end up with you know, yeah, start up with 70 employees and like 500 SaaS tools. You know? But here's the thing that's interesting, like talking the parallel between data engineering, software engineering. On the software engineering side, we we accept that you need, you know, multiple databases, multiple langu- languages, multiple frameworks, multiple libraries. Like there's such diversity of systems, services, frameworks, libraries, languages. And it's well accepted, right? There's no one that says like, oh, no, we should have like one language to rule them out. Or there should only be the JVM. So there's probably still people that you know, think that. But um, but I think we accept that it's going to be a highly diverse, different solution for different people. A lot of microservices, right? That we accepted that in software engineering. In data engineering, it's like, I pick one there, one data warehouse and stick to it. Pick one BI tool and stick to it. Maybe it's like in software engineering, people accept that there's multiple ways to reach a great outcome, even though you chose a different path to get there. And with data, it's like, no, this is the perfect stack you should have chosen and no any other whatsoever. Uh, oh, it's just licensing, guys. It's just licensing <laughs> cycles. That's all. That's the whole difference. And this <laughs> And people go and build, uh, you, you know, decide on a stack and, and, and they need to close the license and they negotiate and everything takes time and they close a year's subscription or, or, or buy credits a year in advance, whatever. Uh, and they, they get, take the project to production and, and, and they, they, you know, they move on. It works, they move on. Uh, they add another project with a new tool because they like or think that tool is better and they move on again. And so, and then, you know, but I think like, and it's a good and bad thing, right? Um, on one hand, people have much more flexibility and options. And uh, on the other hand, um, yeah, they can just pick another tool. They can pick another tech. So you constantly need to justify yourself. You constantly need to to get better. Um, and, you know, with Firebolt, for example, with consumption, it's even more, right? Like you constantly need to earn your customer's consumption. Uh, if they consume, it means they find you valuable. If they don't consume, you're not valuable. They're not using you. And it's very kind of, um, it's very out there. There is no way to hide it. There's no way to hide or postpone the contract. Yeah, the trend seems to go in the direction of like things becoming more, at least at large, larger or fast working organization, things, there's more pressure to like, decentralized things and to democratize things. So every team can decide what they're going like what tool they're going to pick and use. And then of course that creates, you know, different set of problems, but 
if you want to move fast, like centralized structures, like don't work as well, right? Because you need consensus and consensus is expensive. Business so objects, the return of business objects, like you know, <laughs> retro release in Talk super notes. VGA business <laughs> objects. <laughs> yes, super VGA business objects, uh, higher resolution. Exactly. Now Retro. Works you know, new, going back to the desktop products. Old pricing, also old pricing. Yeah. So you get the retro one million dollar license pricing as well. So it's it's a yeah, yeah, a lot of a lot has changed since then. Yeah, yeah. good, uh, Max. This has been awesome. Being uh, in the company of two data geeks and founders, I'm sure you guys can uh, we can keep talking for too long, but uh, running out of time. So thank you, Max, so much. It's been super interesting. Uh, and yeah, and good luck with everything at Preset and we'll keep definitely watching out for what you do next. We'll see you soon. In yeah, the, it's, been, it's it, been super fun. Uh, there's a bunch of things we haven't talked about, so we got to solve a bunch for next time. But uh, I sure. learned a conversation with Aldad that, that, with Aldad that he worked on early MDX compilers, which uh, oh, MDX wow, is wow. like multi-dimensional version. Don't of get him started. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so we should do a different show yet. on that. And we, I invented wanted, it. Yeah, I wanted to talk about data apps. I wanted to talk about what it takes in a database. What proper what properties we need from a database engine to re for the next wave of like highly data centric application like those data apps. So it'll be material for another show. Maybe in a few months we connect. Back absolutely, to the, absolutely. More. Okay, Max. Thank you so much. Thank you for hosting. So we've launched just a few months ago. Uh, we're growing quite nicely, right? Yes. How many views do we have? Very happy. I think we've got like we're in the thousands, right? Happy. Yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah, not bad. But we want more. Want if more. you like this, yes. help us spread the love. Yes. If you don't like that, spread, you know, Vote love for replacing for me. me for someone else. Uh, That's fine. And, you know, we promise to try our best to keep bringing You're amazing, you boss. the data people from the most interesting data companies. So subscribe. Make our mama proud. Yes. Help us out. Love you, mom. <laughs> <laughs>